Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. In this discussion of, of Ephesians, the whole series is called Unite. And it's based upon Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, where it says, The Father's plan all along was to unite all things in heaven and things on earth in Christ. Now, you need to understand that all means all. And so if there's a thing, if there's a person, if there's a creature, if there's anything, God's plan was to unite us. There is no more. In God's categories, there is no more them. There's just us because he is bent on uniting all. And how this plays out, how this happens, is on further display in today's message. You know, I want you to think back to your week this week, and I want you to ask your question. What would have changed if everyone and everything was united? What would change? Like, what would your experiences have been like um, as you, you know, like Monday? I, I know it was like, Mark, don't remind me of Monday. You know, and I know there's another one coming tomorrow. But go back to Monday and just think, what would have been different if everyone and everything had been united? Tuesday, Wednesday, what would have been different if everything and everyone had been united? Because here's the crazy thing that's going to push us, and I would, I would pray stretch us and grow us today, is that the Lord God Almighty is calling us to participate in making that happen. How? How? Well, let's take a look. Our first scripture is verses 14 to 15 from Ephesians chapter 3. And this first verse is, is where Paul's hearkening back to what we learned last week. And I, our little subtitle there is Gospel Church. And it's two words that we need to see as they unfold in this context. So he's saying, for this reason. What reason? The reason is, is the, the, thing that the, the, the thing that he's referring to, if I can spit it out, is that God Almighty is working through the church, through the gospel, to bring his manifold wisdom to everyone, especially the powers and the principalities. So he's saying... God is saying in his word that the church's job is to make the manifold wisdom of God known to all, including those who claim, who pretend, who try to rule this earth because they have been dethroned. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, which is a language that means, I don't think he's sitting. It's like we talked to the grind last night. He's actually standing because the, the apostle Stephen saw him when he was being martyred, standing at the right hand of God the Father. But it's all language which is meant to say he is in authority. He's in charge. He said right before he ascended into heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them everything I have. And, and most of our English Bibles say commanded, but it is tereo, which means this idea of guarding and keeping everything. All of his words, not just his commands, but to hear his voice, to hear everything he said. Like when he said to the woman caught in adultery, where are your accusers? Because he asked anyone who has the first stone, throw it. Anyone who has no sin, throw the first stone. And no one could throw it because we all are equal in our brokenness. 
So it's, it's for all of these reasons. This is where Paul's talking about, is that for this reason, the fact that the church is here and our job is to proclaim the gospel, to tell everyone it's going to be okay, not only going to be, but it is because Jesus loves you. He loves you, even you, even me. And he says, for all of this, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom, there's an interesting statement here, from whom, how many families? Every family in heaven and on earth is named. Every single family on earth derives its name from the Father. He is our lineage. So I, sometimes I will say, you know, it's silly to say that all humans are God's children. And I'm like, oh, is that so? <laughs> really? I mean, I don't think it's silly. I think that's what the Bible says. Every single person who has ever been born on the planet earth derives his or her name from the Father. That means they are family. It means we are family, no matter what. Now, is the family broken? Yep, and many of us have lived many experiences in our own families to say, yep, we know what it's like to have a broken family. Things don't go the way they were intended to go, and now things are a mess. And right in the middle of that, this is where he is bowing his knees. The Apostle Paul, carried by the Holy Spirit, to pray for you and for me, to pray for Ephesus, but also all Christians. Take a look at verse 16. Here's the prayer. That according, he prays, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, y'all, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So this is very important because sometimes Christians will ask the question, you're like, well, what... <laughs> How does this work? You know, I'm not, I'm not particularly religious, to which I'm always responding, good. Now we can get some work done, right? Religion is generally, this, in the worst sense of the word, it's when people think they have to do more, try harder, get better, and then God will love them. And that's exactly the opposite of what God's word says to you and to me today. The power of the gospel is that he will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. He will strengthen me. He will strengthen us with power. And where will it go? It will go through his spirit into our inner being. And this is language. It's like, you know, we've all, we've all said this before. You know, I just feel it in my gut, right? I grew up in a, in a very traditional, very conservative Lutheran church. And, 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 and Lutheran theology in general just really doesn't like this kind of language. Right? We don't like to talk about feelings at all. We, don't like to, we want to talk, talk about objective truths that are outside of us, right? And I understand that, and I appreciate that, because that's what the gospel is. Jesus died for you, whether you feel it or not. But every once in a while, we don't want to swerve the car so hard from one ditch to the other that we miss this powerful gift. When God gets involved in your life, you're going to feel him. Now, to be sure, there are days when we don't feel him, and that doesn't mean he stopped getting involved in our life. Remember, this is a prayer. This is the Apostle Paul praying that he, we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner beings. This is a fact. It's not a feeling. Although, when, it's, when he's in your guts, you're going to feel him. Take a look at verse 17. How does this work? So that Christ, the Messiah, the one who was to come to save us all, may dwell in your hearts. And you're like, wait, which is it, Mark? Is it my gut or is it my heart? Well, it's interesting. In Hebrew, the heart was more of the gut, right? That was kind of what that language is. And so it was this, the, the language for heart there is, in Paul's view, very much your gut and, of course, your heart. So it's all of your inner being may dwell in your hearts. How is he going to dwell in your hearts? Is it through your good works? 
Is it through all the things that you do that are right or that you, you prevent yourself from doing that are wrong? No, no, no. It's through faith. Now, I want us to just pause for a moment. It's through faith. So if God says to you, I love you, and he is saying that, faith is simply saying, well, is that true? And faith, of course, is saying, I believe. Knowing that what we learned just a chapter ago in this very letter, that faith is a gift that God gives to you and to me. He gives us faith, so that way the question no longer becomes, how much harder do I need to work? How much more do I need to try? What, how, what percentage better do I need to be? Now it becomes, hear his voice. And if you're struggling, and if you're doubting, and if you're sort of pushing God back, then hear his voice. If you hear my voice right now, you have the opportunity to hear his voice. Luke chapter 10, verse 16, he goes, he goes, for those who listen to you are actually listening to me, and those who are listening to me are listening to the one who has sent me. And if they don't listen to me, well, then they aren't listening to the one who has sent me. Jesus is talking about the Father sent him, and so he sends us as the Spirit carries us forward, just as we're reading here, through faith. All of this is through faith. And may I just challenge anyone who sits there and goes, Mark, you know, faith's just kind of like, you know, it's easy come, easy go. And may I just challenge you that we live our whole lives by faith. It's just a question of who we put our faith in or what we put our faith in. You know, do we put our faith in the one who rose from the dead? Do we put our faith in the latest, you know, journal of science or history or philosophy? Do we put our faith in, you know, that one person who makes us feel better? Do we put our faith in that one thing that makes us feel better, that one activity? Do we put our faith in our bank account or the fact that our house is built sturdy or the fact that we have the best new car or whatever? You see what I'm, you see where this goes. We put our faith in Jesus. Jesus defeated death. Because all of those other things, you'll still die. Only in Jesus will you not die. And yes, we will die, but he will raise us from the dead. This is his promise. And this is what he seeks to do and to accomplish by dwelling in our hearts, in our guts. For what purpose? What's the purpose of all this? Has he come to make us just feel better? Has he come to make us have hope? Yes, all of that's true. We will feel better. We will have hope. We will be able to put one foot in front of the other. But there's something more, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Now, earlier, we looked, took a look at you know, love. And it is this is, again, this is a Greek word, agape. It is this undeserved loving kindness. It's the never stopping up, never, never unbreak, excuse me, the never stopping, never breaking, never giving up, always and forever kind of love. I'm, I'm picking on Sally Lloyd-Jones' definition of, these, of this language in the Bible. And, and what's going on here is this, it's this powerful thing. Now, here's what, here's what love isn't, okay, just so we're all clear. So you went through your week this week and you looked out around, around the, hand, the landscape of your life and you saw people you didn't, dis, you didn't agree with. You disagreed with them. And you're like, a bunch of idiots. Well, that's not love, right? You looked out your, uh, across the landscape of your life and you're like, they don't understand the truth. Well, that might be true, but what's the best thing to do? To wag our fingers at them or to be rooted and grounded in agape? To Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. The definition of this means that you're interested in what they 
need, what they want, not what you and I need or want. Now again, this if you start to allow this conversation to continue, what it does is it starts to weigh us down. It's a weight that gets on us because now we're talking about the law. We're talking about God's will. What does he want us to do? He wants us to love. Is it easy? No. Mark, how can I love someone I don't like? And the answer to that is cry out to Jesus to march in step with the Holy Spirit who will produce in you the fruit of the Spirit, which is the first one, love. You see, when, we root, when, we're, when he says root and ground, be rooted and grounded in love, he's saying be rooted and grounded in the Holy Spirit. Be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. His name is Jesus. Be rooted and grounded in a Father who loves you so much and you actually come from him. Your family name traces back to him. This is the power of the gospel because if we just say, well, I just need to love more, <laughs> I got to be honest with you, it's not going to get much better from this guy. But if instead I say, Holy Spirit, I don't know how, but I need you to come into me, into my guts, and I need you to bend my heart, not so that it's bent inwards, but so that it's bent outward, so that my love will flow out because what I will discover in that journey is that it's his love. The love that he loved for you and to me. This is why we always say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. You see, this is, and then it's ironic. We said it earlier. Jesus is like, now all authority has been given to me, so you go. You go make disciples. He wants us to participate because this is about family. Family from the beginning, family now, family until the day Jesus comes back. Let's get the family back together again by being rooted and grounded in love, to be able to look at our neighbor who we see as an idiot, we feel like they're just being jerks, whatever it might be, and to say, well, maybe there's a story behind that. Why do they think that? I, maybe they've never heard. Maybe they've never been taught how to love. And may I just say to you as a pastor, I'm only in my fifth year of pastoral ministry, but I can tell you that in that very short sample size, that very small sample size of pastoral counseling, I can tell you that there are a lot of people that have never been taught how to love. And, they, and once they're taught, they're like, wow, this changes my life. What if we all participated in that process, being rooted and grounded in love? Take a look at verse 18. Now, we mentioned we're going to need his help to pull this off. We can't do it on our own. And so look at what his prayer, the Apostle Paul's prayer continues. He says, this way with all of God's people. Now, I find it interesting, and I mentioned I, mentioned I grew up in a traditional Lutheran church, very conservative. And so, you know, one of the challenges, I'll, I'll never forget hearing a discussion break out at one of the potlucks. And may I just say, Lutherans can have some good potlucks, right? And so we were at the potluck, and, 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 and I heard this discussion break out about whether or not not you know, Lutherans and Baptists and Methodists, and I'm sure there are other names mentioned, but I remember those three, 
will they all be together in heaven? And it was very interesting to hear the different opinions about this, the different opinions, because they were like, well, you know, um, you know, those Baptists, they say amen all the time in church, which, by the way, when we have in-person church, you, bet you people better say some amens out here, right? That's right. And so, so we, we, they, they say amen in church, and Lutherans don't, right? And then the Methodists, you know, we don't know what they do. They have, that, like, some different music and all those Wesleyan hymns, which, oh, by the way, we stole all of them. They're really good. And so, you know, you have this debate about these different backgrounds of faith, different you know, different faith traditions, different cultures. And there was people like saying, yeah, I don't, there were some people saying, I don't think they'll be there with us. And I'm just, I remember as a kid going, what, what can we please read the Bible this way with all of God's people? (laughs) He is uniting all things in heaven and on earth in Christ Jesus. Please Put that, write that on your heart. All of God's people, you will be fully enabled to comprehend an impossible love. An impossible love. How wide is it? How long is it? How high is it? How deep is it? His agape. This is Mark's literal version, the MLV, but I, I'm bringing those words out in a way that I want us to see it maybe because, you know, when I see width and breadth and everything, I, you know, I, I, I see that meme where the guy's got all the, like, the symbols flying through his head and he's trying to do trigonometry. I mean, because it just overwhelms me. I'm like, I can't do that. But here's where he's talking about how wide is his love. His love is wide. You know, you, could, you can make the sign of the cross like Jesus on the cross. It's that wide as far as the east is from the west. How long is it? And here I'm reminded of this idea of long-suffering. I'm reminded of Exodus. In Exodus, when God has told the people, he's like, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And they're like, wow, that's really cool. And he's like, I have these 10 words for you. I have 10 words. We know them as 10 commandments. He gives them to them, right? And they're like, wow, that's really cool. We will do this. And then the first commandment is you will make no other gods before me. You'll have no other gods. You'll make no graven images, right? That's the first commandment. And then so Moses goes up to get the plans for the tabernacle. And while he's up there doing that ceremony, boom, they go down and they start making a graven image. (laughs) It's like, what? And right at that point, God looks at Moses and goes, you know, Maybe this just wasn't a good idea. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the meaning of what he said. And then Moses was like, wait a minute, pal. It was your promises. It was your promises. You promised that you would restore Abraham. You promised that you would send the offspring of the woman. You promised that you would do all of this. And then um, God Almighty, speaking to his servant Moses, says, "Hmm, interesting that you should say that. For the Lord God is a God of love. And he lists out how he's not going to ignore inequity, but he is absolutely going to be slow to anger. His love is long-suffering. He will not give up on those who are lost. Jesus said, for the Son of Man did not come to save the righteous, but to save the lost, right? He came to seek and to save the lost. And this is what This is the promise. This is his long suffering. This is how long his love is. How high is it? It goes from the heavens to the earth. It goes from Sheol to the highest heaven, to the third heaven, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12. It is the highness of his love. There's no end to it. How deep is his love? Guys, I'm just going to use one word. His love is infinite. There's no beginning and there's no end. And this 
is who Jesus is. This is who the Father is. This is who the Holy Spirit is. The Trinity is the ultimate unity of community expressed through love. And he loves you and he loves me. And Paul's prayer is that you with all of God's people will be fully enabled to comprehend this reality so that we would never have a conversation at a potluck, at a Christian potluck about who may or may not go to heaven based upon our standards that we invent. But instead, that we would be like, of course, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Take a look at verse 19. So he enables us, and then he fills us, right? And he goes, and I want you to know, because he, he, he's like, he's, he's, he's emphasizing, I don't know if you know, there's an emphasis on love today, and I left it as the word love, not agape this time, but it's all agape in every, in every one of these. And to know the love of Christ, that is the love of the one who would come and die for you and die for me, that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that, so that you may be filled, and this is such a powerful statement, you may be filled with What? with all the fullness of God. It wasn't long ago that I, I heard somebody talking about, they were saying, um, you know, God is, God's out there and, and I don't know how to reach him. I don't know how to connect with him. I'm like, he's not out there. He's right here. And they're like, when is God going to show his face to me? And I always love to say, well, he's standing right in front of you and I ain't talking about this Yehu. I'm talking about anyone and everyone who carries his fullness. And every single believer in Jesus carries his fullness, which is why Paul began this letter as he was carried by the Holy Spirit by saying to the saints in Ephesus, and I would argue, and also in Branson, and also in every other town, on every other continent in the whole world, to the saints you are God's holy people, his hagias, the holy ones of God. And, and you are filled with the fullness of God. You are filled with the fullness of God. He is here. And if you're ever wondering why don't you see him, get on your knees and ask him that question. Lord, I don't feel your presence. I don't see you. What's going on? And he will come to you and he will answer your prayer. God doesn't sit there and go, well, you know, I don't think this time. I'm not in a good mood today. Check back tomorrow. That's not God. That's what a human would do. But this is the God who wants to unite heaven and earth in Christ so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Our concluding passages are verses 20 and 21. The all-surpassing power. He knows we need power. He prays for you and me to have power. Once again, that, that conservative Lutheran church I grew up in, they don't like to talk about power because they think, well, now it's now, oh, now we're, we're not just the, like the Baptists or the Methodists. Now we're like the Pentecostals down there at the end of the road. They're like doing cartwheels. Maybe we should do some cartwheels because of what the Bible says. Now to him who has power to do all things, Everybody's like, are you serious? Do we need to do cartwheels? No, we don't have to do cartwheels. You don't have to. It's, if you want to, though, it's okay. To the power to do all things way beyond, this is Mark's literal version, way beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power working in us, to him be the glory in the church, which I find is very interesting because he's not talking about a building. There weren't any church buildings for 400 years in Christianity. In the church and in Christ Jesus 
Do you see what's going on? In the church is his people, and of course in him, the Lord himself, which of course he dwells within because he is here to unite all, to unite all in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Where is heaven? You're sitting in it. And everybody's like, Mark, that ain't true because I'm at home in my living room or I'm, I'm, I'm on my couch. Barry said he and Nancy would be on their couch today. Praise God. And so, because they got the big screen going. And so this is awesome. But the thing is, is it's heaven because wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And the last time I checked in the Bible, he's dwelling in your bodies, in your guts, all the fullness of God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask you right now to help us believe these promises. And by believing these promises to be empowered with your all-surpassing power to give us the ability to love our neighbor, to be rooted and grounded in love, that you would give us power, that we wouldn't try harder, that we wouldn't like grit our teeth a little more or, or flex our muscles a little bit more, but that we would kneel before you, just like we read in the first verse today. For this reason, I kneel before my Father in heaven. I pray that you and I would, I pray, Lord, that you would guide all the people hearing these words on this day at this moment to do exactly that. And I ask that through this, that we would indeed not just look out at the world and declare all the problems, but that we would become part of the solution. And we know we are. We know we can because the solution's name is Jesus and you have promised today that he will dwell in us, in our hearts, in our guts by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives and reigns with you together, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. 